2,000 years ago, a woman was caught in adultery. Uh, It was a very serious thing back then. The interesting thing is when she was dragged out by the Pharisees, a nasty group of men, they should have also dragged out, according to their law, the man, but they only took the woman and they took her to Jesus. And what Jesus did to those Pharisees and how he looked after this woman and saved her. It truly is one of the great stories of the Bible. I hope you are blessed. I hope you're drawn to Jesus. And if you're in a dark place today, listen to this story. Get your Bible out, read it and let it give you hope. God bless you. Good morning. Welcome to this program this morning and I know that you'll be blessed. This is a very special story found in the Bible. But before we open the word and get into it, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads. Jesus, we come before you this morning seeking your blessing. We're looking at a story about you and how you treat people, how you save. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you'll be here with us now and draw us closer to you. This this is our prayer from fervent hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I used to be in youth work in New Zealand, a beautiful country with beautiful people. And a part of my job was to run summer camps for children. And through the summer I would run camps for juniors who would be aged 10 to 12. Then we would go on to teens and that would be from 13 through to 16 and then youth 18 through to 30. And these summer camps were at a campsite down in Rotorua called Tui Ridge, a very, very beautiful part of New Zealand. I remember these summer camps with much pleasure and joy because even though I was working and running them, they were good, good fun. And there was one particular summer camp, in fact it was a teen camp. It's hard for me to forget this teen camp because there was a girl there, we'll call her Sarah. She was, I guess, somewhere between 14 and 15 years of age. Now when this girl turned up to the summer camp, I used to to watch these things with interest. It wasn't hard to see that she was one of the better looking girls at the camp. In fact, I don't think I'd be going too far to say that Sarah was indeed, for a young 14, 15 year old girl, very, very beautiful. And I would watch the boys as Sarah would go to sit down, say, for a meal. And she would sit down and it didn't take long and the boys would be gathered around her like bees to a honeypot. Whenever we had activities, all the boys would want to be on Sarah's side. Whenever there was duties to do, pots to wash. It was interesting to see how the boys would rush into the kitchen to help wash the pots when Sarah was in the kitchen doing duties. In fact, everywhere Sarah went, the boys went. And you could almost see them following Sarah around the campsite. Of course, this is when you're older and going grey. And this is an interesting thing that you can smile at because I guess you remember your own youth. Well, uh, Sarah... Not only were the boys attracted to her, but Sarah turned out as the camp progressed to be a very, very difficult girl. Uh, she was mucking up, she was misbehaving all the time. She would give her counsellor's cheek. She would sneak out of her dorms late at night and we would catch her and have to send her back. In fact, the, uh, uh, her offences piled up to such an extent until finally I, I said, Sarah, you've got to come and see me in my office. And so Sarah came into my office and she sat down. And I looked at her and I said, hey girl, what is wrong with you? 
Why are you misbehaving so badly? Why are you giving us, your counsellors and your leaders, such a hard time? And you know, she was rebellious. And you could see it shining out of her eyes. And I could see very quickly that I was not getting through to this girl. And I was looking at her, trying to work out how her mind ticked and why she was giving us such a difficult time. And I noticed she had some scars across her throat. And then I looked down to her arms and I could see that she had scars down her arms and it seemed to me that Sarah must have had some sort of accident. And so I said, Sarah, what are these scars across your throat? And what are these scars down your arms? Have you just been in an accident? And I could see because they were still red welty scars that they were recent, recent wounds. And I looked at her and I said, Sarah, what has happened to you? Have you had an accident? And you know, instantly the rebellious look from her face fled and she dropped her eyes and she began to cry. And I said, Sarah, Sarah, what is wrong? And she said to me, Pastor, she said two months ago, less than eight weeks ago, She said, I tried to cut my throat with a knife. I tried to cut my wrists with a sharp knife because I just didn't want to live. And as I looked at that beautiful, beautiful, broken down young woman, I quickly realised that at 14 or 15 years of age, she had reached rock bottom in her life. Things had got so bad for her that she, with her whole life in front of her, would rather die than live. She was facing, as a young woman, very, very serious times indeed. And of course, when I realised what was happening inside her heart and inside her mind, I was able to change my own attitude and my own behaviour toward her. And for the rest of that camp, we really did try to help Sarah. There are many people out there in the world today, there perhaps are some in this church this morning, perhaps some watching television, who have reached the very end. They feel like they've gone down, down, and they can go no further. Perhaps you have lost a job. Perhaps you are facing a marriage breakup. Perhaps you are facing financial crisis. I don't know what has driven you there. I don't know how you got there, but I do know that when you reach that place in your life, nowhere else, no further place you can go, that it is indeed a very dark, dark place to be. And this story in the Bible today is about a young woman, a beautiful young woman, who found herself in this dark room. She had gone down as far as she could go. You could say she was in the gutter, there was nowhere else to go, and indeed life was looking very fragile and very dark at best for this young woman. And we find this story in John chapter 7, it starts verse 53, and it goes over into John chapter 8 verse 1 to 11. And I believe it's a story worth looking at because it can help us when we go down into that dark place where it seems there is no light and nowhere to go. 
John chapter 7 verse 53. The story is about Jesus. And Jesus had been getting a very difficult time from the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel. Now the Pharisees were an obnoxious lot. If ever there was an obnoxious group of people, it was these religious teachers and leaders of Israel. And as Jesus came onto the scene at 30 years of age, sweeping into villages, healing people, uh, sharing the, the truth of God and his kingdom, you know, turning Israel upside down, these teachers became jealous. Their jealousy raged so hot that indeed they tried almost for Jesus' entire ministry to not only put him away, but to have him killed. And it was the Pharisees in the end who were instrumental in putting Jesus on the cross. And they had just been giving Jesus a very, very difficult time in John chapter 7. In fact, if you were to read John chapter 7 you'd see the Pharisees were indeed trying to kill Jesus. And at the end of this chapter, after Jesus had escaped their snares and their traps, we read this interesting verse. It says in chapter 7, verse 53, that the Pharisees and everybody else went home. But in John chapter 8, verse 1, following on, it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, I wonder why did Jesus go to the Mount of Olives? I'll tell you this morning, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives because Jesus went there to pray, to talk to God the Father. And that is where Jesus got the power for his ministry. I remember a few years ago I went to a camp meeting, a Seventh-day Adventist camp meeting in South Queensland, just north of Brisbane. And there was a very, very powerful preacher. And as he would preach, thousands and thousands of people were coming to Jesus. I had never seen anything like it. And I remember going up to that preacher and saying to him, Preacher, what is it that makes you so powerful? And he looked down at me because he was taller than me. And he said, young man, he said, what gives me power is prayer. And I want to tell you today, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, those of you who are watching television, if you want power in your life to do things for Jesus Christ, then you need to become a man or a woman of prayer. And I want to tell you this morning that Christians are not spending enough time on their knees praying. Jesus, praise God, was a man of prayer. And he would go and he would get on his knees and he would spend an entire evening in prayer. Oh, no wonder his ministry and his life was so powerful. It says in John chapter 8 verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. We know that he prayed, and verse 2 says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Here he is at dawn, the sun's just come up, he walks into the temple, he walks into the church, and in a matter of minutes, tens, dozens, perhaps hundreds of people have gathered around Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, and this is the truth, that there is something deep down in everybody's heart. You can be an atheist. You can deny that there is a God. You can call it foolishness. It doesn't change the fact that in your heart, God, God, this God that you deny, has created deep down inside of you a longing for Jesus Christ, a longing for God that only Jesus can reach and touch. And when he walked into that temple... These people who were wounded and hurt and living in darkness recognized Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. And they gathered around him in the tens and the dozens and the hundreds, perhaps sometimes as we know even in the thousands. And if Jesus 
was to walk down Pitch Street here in Sydney and stop on a street corner today in 2006, I want to tell you for a fact that within minutes people would recognise who he was. Because he would be reaching down into their hearts where nobody else can go and they would be gathering around him in the hundreds, in the thousands because Jesus is the Saviour, he's the Messiah of the world and there's something inside all of us that recognises this. And they were recognising this 2,000 years ago in this story. Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these men who are jealous of Jesus, the teachers of the laws and the Pharisees, verse 3, brought in a woman caught in adultery up. Oh, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, verse 5, he commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Verse 6, they were using this question to trap him in order for a basis to have an accusation against him. What terrible men they were. You have a study of this story, you find out what happened. They went and they found a woman, probably a prostitute. And they actually broke the door down where she was committing adultery with a married man. Now you can be sure that they did not, for one moment, allow that woman to get dressed. They grabbed her by the hair. They dragged her down the street, half naked. And there... They threw her at the feet of Jesus. They were prepared, and this is what wickedness does to you. They were prepared to sacrifice this woman's life to catch Jesus out and have him prosecuted so they could take his. And Jesus knew what they were up to. Oh, that woman could not have been in a more desperate situation. The Bible very clearly says in Leviticus 20 verse 10, you go and check your Bible if you have one. Or Deuteronomy 22 verse 22, that a woman or a man who's caught in adultery, living in a sexual relationship before marriage, was to be taken out and stoned. Not like the world we live in today, that's for sure. And they would actually take that woman out of the front gate, they would dig a hole in the ground and they would bury her up to her neck and then they would throw stones the size of a fist at her until she died. She knew she was in trouble. This was the low point of her life. She was in a dark, dark room. It seemed to her that there was no future. But I want to tell you this morning that that woman could not have been in a safer place than at the feet of Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you are in trouble, if darkness is enveloping your life, if you've done things that you are ashamed of, if you've lost your family because of them and all your friends, I want to tell you there's still a place you can go, and that's to the feet of Jesus Christ. And if you are in sin, if you are in darkness, if you are in despair, if you feel like ending your life, I want to tell you that Jesus, Jesus will always be your way out. This woman who's dragged and thrown before Jesus could not have been in a safer place. These Pharisees who are trying to destroy Jesus and the woman could not have brought the woman to a safer place than to the feet of Jesus. Oh, I like the way Jesus deals with this. John chapter 8 verse 5, let's look at it again in the law of Moses. The Pharisees said we are commanded 
that we should stone such a woman. What do you say, Jesus? They were using this as a trap in order for a basis to accuse him. Verse 6, now look what Jesus does. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you are without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I want to tell you again, the woman, I hope you understand this because this is a thrust of what I'm trying to tell you this morning. The woman could not have been in a safer place. She was with Jesus. And when you are with Jesus, there is not a safer place to be in all the world. Jesus immediately looks down at the woman, his heart goes out to her, and he begins to defend her. And there are a lot of us today living in this world who need Jesus to defend us. I am one such person. He begins to defend her. What is he writing on the ground? We can only guess. Perhaps he was writing the sins of those very men who are accusing the woman. And perhaps as they look over, they see their own sins exposed and written on the ground. And then Jesus looks up at them and says, if you are without sin, then you stone her. But if you have sin in your life, you have no right to stone her. Oh, it was a good answer. It was a very good answer because the Bible says this began to have an impact. John chapter 8 verse 8. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. They're looking at what he is writing. All the people who are gathered around are watching this confrontation. Verse 9. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. I want to tell you this morning that if you have fallen into deep sin, if darkness has enveloped your life, and if you have nowhere else to go, if there are accusers out there that are giving you a difficult time, go, go, go to the feet of Jesus. It's as simple as getting on your knees and saying, Jesus, here I am, laden down with guilt. I'm in despair, but I'm here, Jesus. I'm here. And when you go to Jesus, he will deal with your accusers. That's a fact, and he does it, and I know it from my own experience. He will deal with your accusers one at a time until there are none left. And then what I find touching is what Jesus now does. John chapter 8 verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, my daughter, where are they? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And I believe for the first time that woman looks up into the eyes of Jesus. And when she looks into the eyes of Jesus, she knows she's saved. She knows she will live. And she looks up. Now Jesus is there. Jesus could have been one of her accusers. He was without sin. He had a right to accuse if that's what he wanted to do. The woman knew it, but when she looked up at Jesus and she looked into his eyes, she didn't see somebody who was there to accuse her. She saw a God, a Saviour, who wanted to save her. And look at her answer. Woman, says Jesus, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, no one, sir, she said. Then, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. 
neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Listen to me. No matter what you have done, no matter how ashamed you are of what you have done, no matter how deep and dark the sin no matter how dark the room you are in this morning is, no, no matter what you face, if you go to Jesus, he will defend you against your accusers. And more than that, he will put his arms around you and he will forgive you and he will lead you out of the darkness. Now many pastors, when they preach this sermon, they end it there. And I think that's unfortunate. Because this experience had a deep, deep impact on this woman. In fact, many scholars believe that this woman was indeed Mary Magdalene. Who is Mary Magdalene? Well, she is a woman whom Jesus saved, and you can read her story right throughout the Gospels. Jesus saved from deep darkness. And many scholars, many teachers, many theologians believe, and I happen to be one of them, that this woman that Jesus saved who was caught in adultery was one such woman. It's interesting, because when Jesus went to the cross, and here's the crux of what I'm saying this morning. When Jesus went to the cross, everybody, you remember this is a man, this is a God who has healed perhaps thousands of people in his three or four years of ministry. He has gone into villages and he has turned them upside down. He's left towns never to be the same. Again, people healed of leprosy, of demon possession, of blindness. They were mute no matter what the sickness, no matter what the disease, no matter what the curse. Jesus had gone in and he had freed people. He had freed them physically and he had freed them emotionally and spiritually. A wonderful God and it must have been a wonderful time to live in the times of Jesus. But when Jesus was arrested... Not long after he was fated as the great king of Israel in that wonderful parade through Jerusalem. He's arrested. Do you know that all his disciples, except for one, the youngest John, fled? Do you know that all his supporters and all his friends, everybody left in fear when Jesus was arrested and put on the cross? Everybody. Everybody left Except for, let's look at it, John chapter 19 verse 25. Here's Jesus hanging on the cross, deserted by the whole world. But look at this, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Well, a mother will never leave her son or daughter. No matter what sort of trouble they're in, mothers usually stick by their children. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, that's his auntie. Mary, the wife of Clopas, we're not sure who she is. And, 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 and Mary Magdalene. This woman who was caught in adultery, who had fallen into great sin, who lived in this dark, dark room. Jesus, who had taken her hand and saved her and led her to a good life of peace. That's what it is with Jesus. This woman, who Jesus had saved, was one of only four people who stood by Jesus in his darkest hour. Why do I share this teaching with you this morning? Well, because many of us 
are living in darkness. Many of us need to allow Jesus to come and save us, to rescue us. I believe, in fact, I'll go further that every single person who follows Christ must at some stage or another have a Mary Magdalene experience. An experience where you are in darkness, where you have nowhere else to go, an experience where Jesus comes down and grabs your hand and saves you. And that sort of experience will stand you in good stead. Because when you've had a Mary Magdalene experience, like Mary when Jesus calls, no matter what the cost, you will walk with him, you will stand for him, you will be his child. Oh, I wish that, I wish that on each one of you here this morning. A Mary Magdalene experience. You should be so blessed. God, we come before you and we thank you for your love. We thank you that you saved. Bless us. Help us in the darkness to see you and to allow you to take us by the hand and save us. Oh, this is our prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus saved a woman who was caught in deep, deep darkness. She was suffering shame. Her family had rejected her. Society had rejected her. And her enemies had tried to kill her. But they brought her to Jesus. If you're in darkness today, if you're ashamed of your life, if you've been rejected by your family, perhaps by your friends, your workplace, even your church, I want to tell you, you can still come to Jesus Christ. He loves you and he will take your hand and he will bring you out of the darkness into the light. I wish this experience, I wish this walk for you this morning. Give Jesus a chance. He will change your life. He will, if you let him, save you from the darkness. God bless you.